Um, I just want to point out that um, we we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, we sometimes um, we don't even realize we're dismissing the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, I, I an example today. Um, I was dealing with a circumstance as a pastor that was really challenging. And, um, you know, I've dealt with stuff like it many different times, but it's it's always, you know, like somebody hands you a fresh Rubik's Cube sort of thing. And uh, I'm wrestling my way through that. And um, uh, I get a text message uh, from uh, Chris Hurley. Some of you guys know Chris. And... Um, uh, Chris just shoots me this, it's kind of long, but appropriately, he shoots me this message that just basically says, hey, you know, now that I'm working in ministry, I recognize a number of things. And he just goes through how now he recognizes like what what he watched me going through years ago. He has no idea that that's what I'm presently going through today, which that was the Holy Spirit saying to me, I see the challenge you're in the middle of, you know, I'm, I'm with you sort of attitude. Cause you just, you know, sometimes you just want to turn around and sort of smash your head into the wall. Cause it, it's crazy. The stuff you have to deal with. And so, um, I shot back to him and just said, Hey, you know, that was very timely. And, uh, you know, you, that was you obeying the Holy spirit and contacting me. And uh, that ministered to him. You know, it, we uh, sometimes, you know, we come into a church service and we hear a message and it, it hits us right in the heart. But then we're like, yeah, but, you know, we, well, however we dismiss it, we do. You know, we, we don't take it that the living God who created all things is watching us for the purpose of helping us. Right. Not to scrutinize us and destroy us. Right? That's what the scripture says, that the eye of the Lord goes to and fro throughout the whole earth, uh, looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him, that he might strongly support them. Right? Not condemn them. We are his children. He wants to help us. And he is a good father, unlike us as parents. You know, as, as good as we might be from time to time, he's never faltering. He, he, he never comes at the situation out of a selfish motivation, right? Yeah, the kids need to be quiet in the back seat. But the reason I'm flipping out right now is because of how it affects me. You know what I'm saying? I just, that God doesn't do that. You know, if he's going to say to you, hey, straighten out, it's from the position of this is going to harm you. And I'm saying this to you to help you. It isn't out of some fleshly aggravation that God is reacting to us so much better to respond than to react here you guys when the spirit speaks to us let, let's you know learn to be as sensitive as we can and 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 especially obedient obedient to what the Lord is saying so that's your sermonette before this sermon. Hebrews 12 is where we're supposed to be. Uh, we, like I say, we just finished Hebrews 11, so we've prayed. And um, let's, um, <clears throat> let's pick up at verse 1 of chapter 12. And, uh, you know, it starts with that loaded word. 
that I've talked about many times, therefore, whenever the therefore is there, you need to find out what the therefore is there for, right? So uh, that would mean I would have to go back to chapter 1 and bring you all the way to this point because he's building a case throughout. But most recently, he's presented chapter 11 and what we refer to as the Hall of Faith. And I made the point uh, in our study last week, regardless of what you might have heard taught or preached in the past, um, you know, I'm not trying to say like I'm the only one that's right. I just hear certain preachers preaching a slant on an, and an angle on things that I don't find especially uh, appropriate in that the author of Hebrews clusters amazing successes, prophets, right, who defied authorities and sacrificed their lives next to the likes of Samson. You know, and the point is the loyalty of faith. They they both were trusting in God for this. They never wavered from that. When we hear about David was a man after God's own heart, oh, you got to look at the treachery of that man and understand that what's being said is the loyalty, right? He did not ever pursue other gods. Right? His heart was stayed upon the Lord. For instance, his son Solomon right given over to the appetites of the flesh 700 wives 300 girlfriends what the heck's wrong with that guy's mind you know and he's building them temples to their false gods and even going into their temples with them i'm not saying anything about solomon's salvation because that's between him and the lord and we'll find out someday but notice that he's not listed in the hall of faith okay you know, when you're being just drugged right through it and you can't see the Lord at all, if you're still clinging, still, this is my God, I'm hanging on. I'm not going to, you know, as we sang tonight, he's hanging on to us. We're hanging on to him. And in the process, we are like unto these. All of that consideration, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, and I, I want to, I've, I've mentioned this several times in the study in Hebrews, but now I want to dwell on it because here we are on the verse. Many make the presentation that what is being said is all of these in chapter 11 who have lived out their faith are now watching us. And if we falter, if we fail, then they're there to, to cheer or boo us. You know, the great cloud of witnesses. And that is not what this is saying, even remotely. What it is saying is they've run their race. Okay? And they are saying as witnesses to you and I, you too can run your race. The great cloud of witnesses is saying you can rely upon the Lord. You can finish what you've started. Right? Paul makes that Philippians 1.6 statement i'm confident of this that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it even unto the day of the lord jesus christ stay your heart upon the lord and his heart is stayed upon you and the progress and completion are in his hands the faithfulness is just in the clinging and and a lot of times that can just be raw desperation <laughs> 
not a lot of real positivity or, you know, energetic hopefulness, just clinging to God's capability and his faithfulness in this. So, um, glasses are just back and forth for me tonight, driving my eyes crazy. So, uh, since we are surrounded by so such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, you, you rarely see <clears throat> runners who are competing in a race, right, out there in their, you know, their sweats <laughs> and their windbreaker and their work boots, you know, cold hat and gloves on. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. If they're running for the prize, right, they're right down to the lightest material, the smallest amount of drag that they can create as they're going to sprint for the finish line. And that's the sense that is here. There are so many things that just bog us down. And, oh, you know, Paul's talking about, oh, well, you know, all things are lawful, not all things are beneficial. You think, right, maybe we've been those Christians who say, well, as a Christian, can I, and then we fill in the blank with whatever compromise. I mean, pretty much, you know, whether you've been honest enough with yourself or not, if you're asking that question, then the answer is no. Probably. And most likely. Pretty much 100% guaranteed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, there, there is that possibility that no. You know, we're not talking about that. But if, if you're even raising the question, then probably so. And then probably you do need to shed that in order uh, to find the strength and find uh, the, uh, you know, lack of resistance that would allow you to run the race that is set before you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing your eyes upon the finish line. You know, I've had uh, a few people that I've known over the years that have been directly and indirectly involved with racing. And, uh, you know, the faster you're going the farther ahead you want to be looking, okay? You know, if you're doing 300 miles an hour, you do not want to be concentrating on your own front bumper. Things are going to come up on you extraordinarily fast at that rate of speed. You know, you need to be looking at the next turn. You need to be looking further ahead than what's right in your hands, what is right in front of you. Fixing your eyes on the finish line, of Jesus Christ. That's the wisest thing any of us could ever do. And and do we not get into the struggle? And it all becomes this emotional melee. And all we can do is, is the, you just said, and now I'm reacting, and I'm just right here. If I would lift my eyes up to something more significant, you know, I, uh, Confession again, um, 
I, I, um, people have said I like conflict, that I enjoy arguments. I, that's, I've had that accusation thrown at me. Okay. And I, I, I take issue with that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, um, fight or flight, you know, uh, I, all of my life have, um, been one who just stands my ground. And I don't say that with like proud bravado, like, and I've always won, <laughs> you know, like I've stood my ground and destroyed myself more often than anything else. Um, you know, probably rooted in pride and, uh, you know, the, the significance of realizing that there's, there's more important things than being right. You know, we focus on the conflict I'm right in right now. Yeah, well, I have to stay here and I have to argue because why? Because I'm right. Well, what if you are right? You know, in the end, you can, you can be dead right. And what has it accomplished? You know, have you have you made the statement? You know, have you declared the truth? Are they still defying? Well, that's really their business, isn't it? You know, I'm concentrating on one example. Pick, pick your eyes up off from that argument, off that fight, and, and look, really look at Jesus. Really look at the author and finisher of your faith. Can you see himself in that position doing that? I suspect not. It would be a rare instance that he did, right? You know, look at Jesus' ministry. Look at his teaching. Look at his confrontations. The only people that he was, the only people that he was strong in confrontation were the hypocritical religious leaders. That's it. The the sinners, the profound, unbelievable, caught red-handed sinners, incredibly gracious with them. Just so kind, so 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 gracious. And yet we we want to live and die on the smallest ant hills sometimes. There's so many things that are so more important. Look to Christ, you know, and you know if that example just causes you to concentrate on that one thing, you know, broaden your picture into your own life and, and think about the things that you you just get so microscopic on, and, and understand how you might you know apply that to 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 your situation. We need to pick our eyes off off the things of this world, the circumstances of this world. You know, fear, oh my goodness, I, I don't know how many conversations I've had with people in the past, you know, year plus over COVID-19, and they they are petrified. They don't even recognize it. Dominated by fear. You know, unable to do anything over fear. Christ has not given us a spirit of fear, right? I love, power, sound mind. You know, we, we we need to pick our eyes up and look to Jesus. To to not 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 just an image. You gotta look to the living being and say, Speak to me. You gotta hear from him. You gotta respond to him. You gotta be in relationship to him. You know, if if Jesus is uh, nothing more than a still image in your heart and in your mind. Um, you're selling yourself so short. You know, he can speak to you. He can respond to you. He can guide you. 
You know, he initiates conversation. And, you know, do we listen? You know, I've learned so much through my children and my grandchildren and raising them about myself. You know, my grandson, Jake, standing in my kitchen today with a cup and a lid on his ha- in his hand going, Papa, 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 Papa. He wants my attention. I've already said, yes, what, three times. And he's just on repeat. The loop is just running. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, what, you know, and I finally, get, I have to decipher, okay, you want a drink in the cup and you want the lid put on. And okay, I can help. But just, you know, he's, he's gone into chant mode. You know? <laughs> do we not do that with the Lord? You know, in many different ways. Just calling out, calling out, God, Jesus, please, Lord. You know, he's already answered us four times. <laughs> and are we are we listening? Are looking unto? You know, this is this is that looking with understanding, looking with response. You know, it's interesting. We had the school here for ten years, almost ten years, and uh, one of the things I, I learned as uh, a camp counselor in my teens. Um, that I was teaching the staff is sometimes children will not <clears throat> listen to you because they're so in the flesh. I'm not, not saying that necessarily in a condemning way, but you're trying to communicate with them at an intellectual level or in a spiritual way, and they're so in the flesh that they, even though you're speaking to them, they cannot hear you. And I, I learned as a camp counselor uh, that you have to touch them, for, you know, in an appropriate way. Just go up and put your hand on their shoulder, you know, eye to eye. And the contact, like they'll be right in a frenzy and then, oh, okay, so now I can talk to you. Because you, you've connect, they're in the flesh, connect with the flesh and say, hey, are you listening? I'm, I'm speaking to you. It's kind of a sad indictment that the Lord meets us in the flesh sometimes because we're calling out, we're crying out. And, okay. You know, the physical thing. Okay. You need the physical thing. All right. And, and that's the only way we recognize his hand. He's there all the time, constantly available, looking unto him. Let's make sure that we're not missing that. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, as we said, endured the cross right <clears throat> just reading again in first uh, peter um uh chapter one uh, verses three through seven i think um where uh talking about uh, the trials we go through right now and you know they're temporary and they they prove out and test and then i always quote james chapter one consider it pure joy whenever you're faced with trials of any kind, the testing of faith develops perseverance. You know, we want the finish line, right? But the trial comes that's going to produce the finish line, and we, you know, like children, spaz out and have a fit in the flesh. you got to go through the difficulty to get to the reward, you know, it wasn't just Nike. I think it was actually the origin of 
no pain, no gain was actually Ben Franklin. You've got to go through the endurance of the trial to get to the finish line, to get to the reward. Jesus went through the most agonizing of experiences. And I, I just I'll try to remind us of this again. Um, you know, his bloodshed and his his the struggle and the strain began in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? As he knew the cross was coming, uh, the torment that was upon him, he began to sweat great drops of blood, okay? And, and I, forgive me for all these little details, if you think that's, you know, some kind of exaggeration, um, my, my middle daughter will hate me for bringing this up. She was a strong-willed child. And uh, she was one of those kids that, like, if you spanked her, she was not going to show you that it hurt. And she would just stiffen her neck and endure. And the strain was so hard on her physically and emotionally that a few different times she burst the capillaries in her face, just a little patika across her cheeks. And uh, people under strain do that. You know, Jesus was under so much strain that the sweat that was pouring off his body and the emotional and spiritual strain he was under, he was bursting those capillaries and sweating great drops of blood. Now, if you think it was the cross and the crucifixion and the scourging and the beating, I think you're missing the bigger picture, right? Because his, the ultimate expression of his torment was on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? I've talked to many of you about how our experience is reverse of Jesus. Right? We see dimly as in a mirror now, backwards. Things are reversed. Right? Our temptation every day. Okay, mine. Maybe not yours. I know you're much more spiritual than me. But, it, you know... We love sin so much that we want it with every fiber of our being. It can cause us to tremble and our heart rate go up. And, you know, it really has a profound effect upon us. We want it so bad, and our struggle is to resist it. Jesus does not want sin, even remotely. And the Father is saying, I want you to go to the cross and embrace their sin. And he's saying, with every fiber in my being, I do not want this. You know, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. We've sat in worship services where we were right with the Lord, where things were good, the song was right, we raised our hands and our hearts were moved into the throne room. And it was such a profound experience that when it ended, we were shocked to open our eyes and be back here in this room. And a thought crosses our mind, why can't I just stay in that state of worship forever? Just Bottle that. I don't. I don't want to go home. Let alone get up tomorrow morning and go to work. I do like this is where I want to live. Jesus lived in that perpetually, for eternity past, until that moment where now you're going to take on their sin. 
and you're going to be separated from me. As they are all the time, right? We get these brief glimpses of what it's like to be nearly perfectly in his presence, and we're overjoyed with the experience. Jesus stepped across that line once to embrace our sin. Took it all upon himself, and he cries out, why have you forsaken me? He's tormented with that. That is what he endured. We're being asked to do the reverse. If Jesus can look at that and say, my embracing sin once in all of eternity is going to deliver all of humanity that will accept it from the curse of sin and death. We need to understand the reversal of that picture, the benefit of enduring against the temptation and understanding what it will produce. Listen, not only in us, not only in us, it has, it has fruit in outward expression, wife, spouse, children co-workers, community, family, right? Same as Christ's endurance has blessed all of us. We're here this evening because of his endurance, our endurance. This is the example that's being set before us. Look, if Christ can press on through such a trial for the greater benefit of all, then you need to understand that you need to look at that. Look to Christ, the author and finisher of your faith, and, and follow that example of endurance uh, and what it might produce in your life. Your, look, if it doesn't do anything but benefit us, right? It's all worth it. What it's going to produce in my life, what it's going to produce... You know, and, and what it has produced in my life, that it, what it's producing in my life that is producing in your life. There was a time where there was no resistance in my life. Zero. Just if the flesh desired it, the flesh did it. And the endurance to resist and what it produces. There's a fruitfulness of ministry in every Christian's life if they will follow Christ in this example. And what it does in us and through us and around us. Look unto him. You know, the throne. There's a throne waiting for us. A throne of authority. In Christ's presence. To rule and reign with him. That's a remarkable thing. Right? And to what degree are we going to have authority? I don't know. Right? I mean, you know, 24 elders are seated on their throne. I'm very confident I'm not one of those. You know what I'm saying? Pro probably be like you know, chief dog catcher, or I don't know what, you know, in eternity. Well, whatever authority Christ extends to us, we are, we are going to be in, you know, the class of ruling authorities to, to minister to those that are alive during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It's a remarkable thing that he's saying and offering us. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, right? You know, the constancy of temptation can, can lead us
to the place where we're like, I just, if this is how it's going to be the rest of my life, then I don't even want to try and resist. I got news for you, brothers and sisters. It is going to be that way for the rest of your life. You are going to have to resist your flesh. It gets much easier, but then, but then, you know, later on down the line, it'll just sneak right up on you too. Just jump right up in your face. And, and you know, if you don't have the preparation of resistance there in that moment, you'll find yourself in a course of failure. Some of us know that very, very well. If he endured, we must endure, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Oh, you listen to some of us, and we make it sound like we have. You know what I'm saying? Whine and cry and just, oh, I can't believe it. You know, and really all we've been asked to do is just don't touch the thing. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it is. Whatever it is, just how many times have I told you? You know, you've burned yourself over and over again. And 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 listen, uh, I've given this illustration, and forgive me if, if you're tired of it and it's repetitious. But you know, there are there are two beings inside you, right? There is the flesh, and then there is your own spirit, or better yet, we would say your soul. Okay. And you can say, I'm going to resist, and I'm going to strengthen myself. You, know, you, you, you have for decades been feeding the flesh everything that it wants, and whether you recognize it or not, you have been working it out and making it stronger. Right? You've been exercising it. And you can't see it, but your flesh is a Herculean giant of massive proportion. And now, you know, this little child of God has raised its hand and said, I want to follow Jesus. You don't even realize that what it's going to come down to is, okay, now you, as this emaciated wimpy little Christian kid have got to get in the ring with the Herculean giant and you've got to duke it out. You've got to fight your way to the finish line. And the first few rounds go very miserably, do they not? And then the biggest reason they go so poorly is because you run around the ring a bunch of times <laughs> avoiding getting throttled, you know. I'll just go to church. I'll hang out with my Christian friends. I won't do any of that stuff. And then you get cornered alone. And your flesh just absolutely blisters the child of God. And the child of God crawls out of that conflict, bruised and beaten and bloodied and discouraged and depressed. There's an answer. It's imprisoning the flesh and starving it to death. And that takes a lot of determination. Because you're going to get into conflict with this thing. You can't give it anything it wants 
and you cannot let it exercise itself. Because it will remember its strength and it will choke the life out of you. You let it out of the cage. I don't care if you let it out of the cage 10 years from now. Right? That thing will have its way. And doesn't it whine and cry and snivel? Just, just let me out for a minute. Just let me out this once. I promise I'll go right back in the cage. You want to just feed me once. Let me out once. I promise I'll go right back in the cage and I won't even ask ever. I will never even ask again to be fed. Lies. Lies. Right? Some of us have done it. For some of you, like the illustration is just like way too thick and you can't even get it. Listen, right? Some of us have been dumb enough and unlocked the cage. And before we even pull the door back, the hand is right around our throat. And what we find is we're now inside the cage. And the flesh is full in control and the door is locked. And he's starving us to death. No? No. Just can't seem to get your heart and your mind wrapped around the word of God like you used to. The food. The necessity. The flesh is in control. And the flesh is saying, you don't get anything. You're going to stay in the box. It's a real battle. And life and death hang in the balance. And eternity is at stake. It's as serious as you can possibly imagine. You cannot, you cannot negotiate with the flesh. It must be imprisoned. It must be starved to death. There's nothing cruel about it. Nothing cruel about it. Listen, the flesh will take any food you give it, and it will use it as strength. You used to be a full-on drunkard. Okay, so now you only gratify it by watching ungodly things on wherever. It'll take that, and it will grow with that. Whatever food feeds the flesh, it will take. It will take. And then it will overwhelm you. This is a very serious contest that the author of Hebrews and Paul repeatedly are delivering to the Christian of you can make no provision for the flesh, right? Listen, you're going to have those failures. You're going to have those stumblings where the flesh asks for and you do and you feel like an idiot and a buffoon. You need to quickly clean that out and be done with that. You know, somebody hits you just right and the temper flares and your mouth runs and you say things you shouldn't have. And five minutes later, you realize, holy cow, that was the flesh. Then you need to get on your face and you need to repent. And if the Lord tells you now, go back and apologize to them. You have to go back and apologize. Say the things that you need to say. Correct the situations. And then curb the behavior. This is a constant refining. A constant refining of our walk with the Lord of the strength of the child of God. And the beautiful thing about that, right, is if we will keep the flesh imprisoned and not feed it, then Christ feeds the flesh. And oh, the strength that comes from that. 
It's not like the flesh. It's not, you, you can receive strength beyond bound in moments. Why? Because it's not your strength. It's Christ's strength. It's him working in you. We need to submit ourselves to the Lord. And, and, and look, no criticizing of um, you know, other churches or denominations. That's not what I'm trying to do when I say this. Much of Christianity isn't engaged in this at all. Their churches and what they're learning is not putting this forward as a, a forced example. There's little resistance to the world, little resistance to the flesh, little resistance uh, to sin within the congregations. Don't misunderstand me as preaching some kind of you know better than them message at all. It, this is a message of desperation for us all. We need to be as sincere as we possibly can be in this struggle. Without it, doom, destruction is what lies ahead. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against uh, himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Um, you know, I've had time to disciple many different people over the years. And, you know, some of them, some of us, have come from terrible backgrounds and uh, terrible parenting. And as, you know, I've been involved with people's lives, had young people living in my home and discipled them, they, they have come to the point of breakdown over my correction and discipline of them, where they, they hate it, but at the same time, they'll say things like, you know, the reason I'm struggling with this was because I was raised in a, in a way where there was no correction, there was no discipline, there was no guidance. And now I'm experiencing for it, you know, it, experiencing it for the first time in my life. And the ones who want it will say, I wish I had been raised this way all along. You know, it's, it's hard, it's terrible in the moment, but, you know, that whole thing of the flesh and it's gaining the strength, when you grow up, in a place where, you know, even even if people are, you know, saying, oh, we're Christians, but there's no restraint. It really leads to terrible things. And, and what the author of Hebrews is saying to us right here is, you know, and we hear elsewhere that the wise son enjoys correction. You know, here we're being told you need to embrace this. You need, you need to accept the idea that when you are being disciplined, it's, it's that Christ loves you. I always, in this very setting, will say, you know, haven't you been in public and seen children that are just out of control and thought, oh, I'd like to just go over there and fix that? You know, it's, it wouldn't take much. 
right? Just, you know, like a lot of kids just don't even know the word no. To just go over and say, stop. And I'm going to, I'm going to stand right here and make sure you don't do that anymore. You know, I'm not going to, there won't even be any physical discipline. I'm just not going to allow you to do that. No. Boy, that goes a long ways. The word no goes a long ways in training and correcting. You know, when, when the Lord lands in your life and you begin to realize he's doing this to me, like Christ is, is functioning with me in this way, shutting me down. That's a really good thing. And the thing to recognize in that moment is I'm a child of God. That's, that's pretty cool to realize I belong to my Heavenly Father, to Jesus Christ, my King. I am, I am truly a child of God. I've, I've had the Lord interrupt me on more than one occasion. Just get in the flesh, and then Jesus puts someone right in my environment that literally is looking me in the face going, you're, you're really going to proceed with this? And you have to sort of stutter and say, no. You know, <laughs> Because you were just a second ago, but now he's, you realize his correction and you stop. That's a really gracious thing. And the other aspect of that is the Lord will, he will let you have your will. You're going to continue to kick at that door. You're going to continue to try to sneak around. You're going to try to continue to circumvent what he's putting in the way. Comes a point where he says, okay. C.S. Lewis said, there's only two kinds of people. Those who have said to the Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. The second group are those whom the Lord has said to them, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's a really heavy thought. You know, submission, obedience, right? Those that love me, obey me, Jesus said, right? And we'll say, oh, I love Jesus. Do you obey him? Because if you love him, then you obey him. If you do not obey him, then the question is, do you love him? It's a very serious prospect. We've talked many times about the fact that a lot of people want a savior but few of them want a Lord. They don't want a master. They find themselves in trouble. They realize that they are without the Lord, that they're going to hell. And, oh, save me. I want a Savior. But then he says, great, now that I saved you, uh, you can no longer do this. And we go, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, he is he your Lord? Because if he is, then he gets to say such things to us. And we must listen. Chastening, correction, discipline. You need to learn to embrace. Even, even if you're embarrassed in the moment of, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I'm so foolish. I can't believe I was about to do. But you're right. And you just got to own it. And you got to stop. And you got to move on. His correction, right? If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Right? I, I mean, I'm not even going to say to you how the King James says that. You know, when it when it talks about being illegitimate, it is the harshest. You're fatherless is a very polite way of putting it. If if you're not be, if you're getting away with it, like the, oh man, if you're sitting here right now and thinking I am getting away with it, you should be completely freaked out. That that should scare the stuffing out of you. If the Lord is not stepping into your environment, getting in your face, spanking your butt, correcting you, putting you back on the course you belong on, if you are getting away with it, I'm not talking about are you fighting him and worming your way around and doing stupid things, right? And he's spanking you and you're resisting. And, you know, that's, you need to cut all of that junk out. But at least there you fall under the category of the one who's being corrected and disciplined. But if you're just skating by, you need to be really concerned about whether you're a child of God. Right? If the scripture clearly lays it out, this is sin. No Christian participates in it. But you are? There's something desperately wrong. Christ disciplines his own children. He corrects them. He does not leave us unpunished, uncorrected. I, this is an interesting thing. Uh, I've had countless conversations. Uh, we do the jail ministry, Hancock County Jail, countless conversations with the men that come into Bible study. Right? And you think, well, you know, how many could there be? Okay, there's, what, 47 beds, Hancock County Jail, and I've got 18 guys in the Bible study? Okay, and they're all saying, yeah, I was raised in the faith. Yeah, I went to church. Yeah, I, came, I know these things. And, and, and yet you're in Hancock County Jail for selling to, uh, uh, you know, main drug enforcement officer three times, you know? Do you not recognize that your heavenly Father is disciplining you? Maybe, maybe the whole reason you're in this jail cell is because he doesn't want you to die. Right? I couldn't believe it this week. I mean, a rabbit trail, follow me for a second, but, you know, Hollywood stars talking about the accidental overdose of his girlfriend. I'm thinking, like, like, wow, accidental overdose. Like, how did that happen? You know? Like, forgot you just took your meds? Took them again? Uh, well, what do you mean, accidental? Well, thought she was snorting cocaine and was instead snorting fentanyl. Nearly died. Okay, accidental. I'll buy that. But, by the way, <laughs> you shouldn't be snorting cocaine. Just saying. Okay. Take the grace of God in the heavy dose you just received it. You missed, you just barely missed the freight train. You know, the guys in the jail, like, you you know the faith, you've walked in the faith, you've grown in the faith, and this is where you are? Clearly, your faith has not led you to this place. Your relationship with Christ needs to change. And they don't even recognize, it's amazing. They do not even recognize that as you're talking to them. They're like, I just screwed up that one time. 
yeah, okay, that one time for like 11 years, right, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I'm with you, <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing life in prison in installments, okay, you know, I just, Christ is disciplining and sometimes we don't pay any attention to that. And it is so for our benefit. If we're not being disciplined, if you are getting away with it, do not consider that a reward. Do not look at that as a blessing. It needs to be very frightening. Christ disciplines those that are his own. You're illegitimate, right? You were conceived, you know, illegitimate, you know, child. You know, the one who you say is your father is not your father. You've been fathered by someone else. That's literally what the scripture is saying. Spiritually, there's only two fathers. The devil or our Lord. <clears throat> Jesus makes that statement to the the hypocritical Pharisees, when he says, you're sons of your father, the devil. He was a liar and a murderer. And you speak your native tongue when you tell lies. The, the language, the, the accent, the, the looks, right? We see that in little kids. You know, oh, don't you look like your dad. I just, I, <clears throat> my granddaughter, Lacey, many of you know, I have, uh, um, <clears throat> I've not known her dad's side of the family, uh, you know, as well as I would like. And uh, he, they sent me a picture yesterday, and Lacey is coming up out of a pool. She's got her arms on the deck, and she's straining for all she's worth. And she, she looks like James Rodia, like 10,000% her dad, you know. Those of you that know James, if I, if I you know, talked about James, like, physically straining, you go, yeah, I know what that looks like, the football player. The grappler. I know what that's like. To, to see Lacey, you know, straining in a similar way, revealed her dad 100%. You know, you, you, under pressure, you under pressure will sometimes reveal who your dad really is spiritually. Is it your heavenly father? You know, is it your flesh? Where are we really at? Christ needs free access to discipline us. And our resistance is not a good idea. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? This idea, you know, some of us didn't respect parents. But the idea that there was a struggle in our heart, right? We, we knew we should respect them. But even if they were scoundrels themselves, which caused us to not respect them, uh, we had to come to a day of confrontation where we broke that submission and in defiance said, I will not submit. Why? Because there is a natural sense of respect that this is my parent and I should have a degree of obedience. So even if it is a broken, tormented, terrible thing, what's being said here is understood. We should respect those who are our parents. Look, if that natural sense is ingrained in human beings, how much more should it be in the sense of the spiritual father, that, that we are in submission 
that he has authority over us, the father of spirits. Now, uh, let's not create some weird thought on that process, right? <clears throat> Every human being is subsequently the spirit of God because he breathed into Adam and made him a living being. His spirit, pneuma, spirit, in him, breath of life, caused him to live. He is the father of all that are living. And obedient or disobedient, he gave life to everyone. That demands respect and obedience. You know, all of these people that act like, well, I'm an agnostic. Okay, whatever. I'm an atheist. Okay, fine. You've clearly not explored the complexity of life. <laughs> You're just shoving that aside. You know, it doesn't take much examination of the human life to realize what a miracle it is that we are experiencing. You talk about any level of, of human existence. What an astonishing creation. You know, the eye, the ear, the capabilities, the body, the, the, the self-repairing cycles, you know, the cell itself, a single cell. It's reproduction, the way things go, the regeneration uh, within our frame. Just human life is astonishing. Just astonishing. And if you're acting like, ah, there's no God. You, you're being extremely prideful. You know, just that whole idea of, I don't think there is a God. You know, my, my first question on that is, uh, well, I mean, have you looked everywhere? You know, just like on earth, you know, it's interesting. My own personal experience with this, uh, as people have said, I've only had that conversation a few times, but people have said, I don't think there is a God. Now, I'm not talking about the atheist that says, I know for a fact there is no God. That's a different argument. But the one that says, I don't think there is a God. You know, I just poison. Well, have you looked everywhere? And usually, right. Every one of them that I have asked, they've never traveled outside the state that they live in. You live in Maine. How do you know God's not in New Hampshire? <laughs> or, you know, California or India or, you know, the farthest side of the universe. So, so many people have that thought that, uh, you know, there is no God. We'll get past it. It'll be all right. You're fine. I'll tell you a funny story right now since we're, since we're already there. <clears throat> Calvary Chapel pastor years ago when cell phones, it's weird, when cell phones started to be a thing in churches, he he had one of his elders in the front row. So I'll set up. I'll just let the, you know, spoil the punchline. But he had one of his elders in the front row with a junk cell phone, had put it on extremely loud, and had someone call it right his church started, called the guy right up on stage, demanded his cell phone, took it from him, broke it right in half, right in front of everybody, threw it in the trash can right there, and went back. Everybody pulling out their phone. <laughs> <clears throat> it's really embarrassing when I'm sitting up here and it's my phone that goes off. That's anyway. 
<laughs> I, I do it every time. And then I stand. I was in Calvary Chapel as a guest speaker last time. I was there, my phone's going off. Stand, and it's real loud because the microphone's right here. So I'm amplifying. And I'm literally like third ring into thinking, I am going to choke somebody when I realize it's mine. You know, <laughs> We all do it. Where was I? <laughs> the discipline, the correction that we so uh, very much need, and, and the natural respect in life, the father of spirits. If you have any sense of that in your mind of, right, even though my mom was a creep or my dad was a loser, you know, you have a natural sense of, boy, it would have been nice to have, if they'd been a wonderful parent, to have been able to offer them the respect that is natural. So you have a sense of the natural order of respect. Well, if you get that from the human sense, then how much more God is what the author is saying here. For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of the holiness. And this is what I was talking about earlier, in that, you know, the few days is the short period of time that we're under parental authority. It's not even talking about your whole lifespan. It's talking about when you were at home, when you were dependent upon parents, and they called the shots. You know, for that short period of time, you were in subjection to that authority. If, if you have that sense of thing, that was, you know, for your profit. The, the sense here is that God does his correction for your profit. That's what I was talking about, how we get frustrated and we correct children, and, and a certain degree of that comes from our own motivation. You know, I want it quiet. You're being noisy. I'm going to correct you because of how it benefits me. God doesn't even come at us from that angle. His correction is entirely one directional. It's all for you. It's all for you. The devil convinces us that God is correcting us in order to destroy us and to keep us down and to confine us. You know, like the things he said that are sinful, oh, they're actually really pleasurable. And if we could just get our hands on them, that's a way, is it right? I mean, this is how the devil comes to Eve. Has God said you cannot eat of the tree in the midst of the garden? And then what's he say? He says, oh, no, no, God is trying to keep you down. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said, right? Because what's going on is God knows the minute you eat of that tree, you're going to be like him. She's experienced God firsthand. The, the most spectacular thing this woman has ever experienced is God coming to her every day in the cool of the day, walking with her in the garden. Astonishing experience. No human being has ever experienced other than those two. What? If I just ate of the tree, I could be like, God, you're kidding me. I am being ripped off. Oh, listen, you've experienced the same temptation. There's something wonderful over here. And God has said you can't touch it. That it's out of bounds. If you if you would just disobey God, you'd have an experience like you can't imagine. You fill in the blanks, however that works. I, I know without even asking, you've had that enter into your mind. And you've probably obeyed 
that voice. I'll remind us, Romans 6.16 says, whatever you obey, that is your master. That's a frightening prospect. At best, that means your flesh is your master. At worst, it means the devil himself is your master. Consider, now, no chastening. Oh, I missed it. For, for indeed, they for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To those who have been trained by it. Many have experienced it and not obeyed it. If it hasn't trained you, right? If it hasn't taught you, then you haven't learned from it. That's that's really unfortunate, right? I bought this drum kit many years ago now uh, because uh, we needed a drummer. We needed more than just the acoustic guitar. And uh, just decided, I, like, how hard can it be? I'll teach myself how to play drums. And three months I practiced on that kit alone. And I got pretty good three months. Practiced a lot every day. Until I played with other musicians. <laughs> and literally, there was a thought that was so clear. It was like a voice in my head that said, practice does not make perfect. It just makes habits. And I was stunned. I mean, I ground songs to a halt. Just tortured it. And there's nothing harder than unlearning something, huh? Right? Learning something is difficult. Unlearning something. Right? Do not do this. Do not. That was really hard. Three months I had ingrained patterns, methods, and rhythms into my mind that weren't even music. <laughs> Sounded great to me. I can play with musicians uh, very fluidly, very simplistically. You know, I'm, I'm not a complex drummer at all. Uh, but learning something incorrectly, you know, when the Lord disciplines you, right, if, if he's been disciplining you and you've been taking half measures, half steps, no steps, if you've re been resisting for years, oh, Lord right, then what you've learned is I go through this pattern where a, you know, desire wells up in my heart and I sort of struggle with it. And then opportunity comes and I cave in and then guilt follows and I'm overwhelmed. And, you know, then I go through remorse and then I, you know, come back into a place of a self sense of peace where I resist until the desire begins to grow again. And then they See, what you've learned is a cycle that isn't real. You've convinced yourself that that 
uh, guilt all the way back through to the next occasion is actually righteousness. <laughs> and it's not. It's not. All that is is the cycle of hypocrisy. Because the whole cycle is you. Darn it. <laughs> I just wanted to cut off this section where I felt really guilty and I resisted for a short period of time. And I wanted to assign that to myself as righteousness. It's not. That's the whole cycle that is me. It has to get to the point. All the tests are or pass or fail, you guys. He doesn't go 60%. Well, we'll let it slide. It is, you know, seven, seven, 69, you almost made it. Correct answer or incorrect answer. Right response or wrong response. Pass or fail. Because that's all there is to it. Listen, don't be discouraged. Embrace the correction. The next time it's coming around, endure. Endure. Right? Christ looked right at the cross and said, I'm going to do this for Will. Wow. Nobody else's name on the chalkboard. Just mine. He said, yep, worth it. He did it for you. And he's asking you to do it for him. Not, not, right? Again, not because, oh, life is so terrible and I just want your life to be more terrible. <laughs> you want this thing to gratify your flesh, to do whatever. Uh, I just, I don't want you to have that. That's not Christ. Christ is saying if you'll resist, righteousness is the result and you won't believe the fruit that that yields into your life. You won't believe what that produces in your life. Let Christ have his will. Amen? Amen? Let him have his way. Well, that's the uh, first portion of 12. So why don't we stand and pray? Listen, if you're thinking that somebody called me up and told me all about how terrible you are, they didn't. I just know myself. This, this is all self-application and what the Lord has taught me. And, and, and I'll say this to you, and I'll say this to you, and the victory Christ has given me. Christ can lead us out of these things, and he will give us his existence. We, we can rest in him. Amen? Father, oh, help us to be obedient children, Lord. The whole of this section began with therefore. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses who have been through these things before us, older, ancient brothers and sisters who have walked in fellowship with you and learned their lessons, help us to be men and women that learn from them. Learn from what is recorded in the scripture. Learn from the leading and the correction of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be in submission to you. Lord, I pray none of us would leave here overwhelmed, depressed, that instead we would leave with a great encouragement that by your strength we can have victory. Victory over sin. Victory over defeat. Ultimately, even victory over death. 
accomplish what you want to in each of our hearts, our lives, and our behavior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Listen, just